Welcome to 131 and Counting, a podcast where we cultivate, connect, and celebrate the achievements of women lawmakers and women policy and professionals. Count of women in Congress at this date is 148 out of 535. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Marina. I'm so happy to have you joining um, for this first iteration of this podcast idea that we have kind of walked through together. Um, I want to just go ahead and get started by letting you have the floor and tell me a little bit about um, why 131 was count- 131 and counting was founded and your journey within that. Sure. Thanks so much, Grace. It's so great to be with you here today. So very quickly, 131 and counting was formed in 2018. And in that year, uh, we had ushered in the largest female class in our nation's history. And so it was just a really exciting time. And that's on both sides of it, I should say. So Democrats and Republican women um, together combined that total of 131 women serving in Congress, which still is uh, woefully uh, underrepresentation of women in Congress, but show tremendous growth and hopefully a upward trajectory where women will continue to go in terms of serving in federal office. So really just wanted to start off as championing that and celebrating it. And so it started as a way of having a, a reception where we would celebrate these women, we would have various members come in and, and speak about their races and how they got to office and why other women should run. And we did that at the end of 2018. And much to my surprise, there was such enthusiasm and desire to um, join that event that it was clear that there was a thirst and desire to do more in this space. And so I had reached out then uh, after that reception to several of the other historical kind of iconic women's groups in D.C., like Women in Government Relations and the Women's Bar Association of D.C., and said, would you be interested in in working together to do something sort of forward-facing with Congress, where we have both networking opportunities, but also do some more substance, but do it in a bipartisan fashion, which was sort of the element that I thought was missing um, in a lot of the different women's groups that are out there. So they kindly agreed and very quickly re-ramped up and started a um, structure where we became a 501c3. So it was WGR, Women's Bar Association DC, as I mentioned, Young Government Leaders, Bloomberg Government, and Holland and Knight, the firm where I work. And we created a governance structure and bylaws and a really robust advisory council of women in DC in all sectors of policy. Um, and different levels of their career who help inform some of the programming that we do. So that's what kicked us off. And ever since then, we've been sort of moving quickly, um, doing five or six events a year and really trying to create a a network um, where we're educating, but also letting women come together and sort of learn what everyone's doing and and how they can best support each other uh, in their endeavors. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for sharing that as kind of um, you know, a level setting piece um, and sharing that that bipartisan side is really where you felt like there was a, a space to be filled. And, and I know you guys have done work with that kind of background. You know, I do just kind of want to delve a little deeper, you know, you personally or, you know, kind of speaking as, as part of the mission of 131 and counting, you know, what made you initially kind of feel like, you know, there, this amount of women in Congress is a pressing issue and I want to make connections and bring people together to, and counting to um, get more people involved, you know, what kind of sparked that interest, you know, with the people that you were 
speaking with you when you initially did the, the creation of this organization um, that just made you really pick out, oh, you know, there's not enough women in Congress and this is a pressing issue. Yeah, I think it's sort of multifaceted. So clearly being a woman in politics, and I've been in D.C. for um, almost 20 years now working in the, in the policy realm. So I know firsthand that it can be uh, an old boys club that's really hard to penetrate. I'm lucky in that I work in healthcare policy, which tends to be a little bit more female dominant, but mm. still there are, are less women in the CEO and president positions of healthcare organizations. So there's still a, a long hill to climb even in the healthcare space, but having friends who work in defense and cyber and other arenas where they're oftentimes the only women in the room, this was something that, you know, innately um, I've experienced and friends and colleagues have experienced. And so to create a bit of a sea change, also having more women at the helm in Congress is going to change, I would say, um, the experience that women have who are working in the ancillary roles around Congress. So what many of us do in, in lobbying or nonprofit work, um, or think tanks, whatever it may be, that all has a kind of systemic effect of the number of women representing, um, being represented in Congress. And then there's staff too, I, I should note and sort of back up a little bit. The other really exciting thing about 2018 is that we also ushered in the most women chiefs of staff that we've ever had because women hire women. Um, and so I work at a firm where we have a lot of former women chiefs and it also seemed like a great opportunity to have those women with that experience and acumen help uh, a lot of new women chiefs just sort of know where the bathrooms were and, and know how to help their bosses navigate fundraising and, and other elements that perhaps they hadn't had uh, experience with. So it just seemed like a natural way to, to connect people and create some synergies and find a network of where women could all support each other that I think men have historically had. I'm somewhat dating myself, but when I first moved here, um, men would sort of have these golf events that women were not often participating in. And in those golf events, it would sort of, there'd be dynamics where men would refer business or um, they would garner speaker or something of that nature, all from this internal networking where women weren't in the room. So I thought it was important to create a paradigm where it was predominantly just women in the room where they could create the same support network and try to find um, women to spearhead their events or to express um, what an opportunity might be that they should apply for, things of that nature. So I think sometimes just being in the room together is um, simplistic and a lot can grow from that, but you have to have a forum to allow for that. And so that was sort of one of the um, outposts and, and hopes of 131 and counting. Okay. that That's so helpful. Thank you for sharing all of that. And um, love kind of hearing about how your mission involves so much of that you know, making connections in that community that, you know, and a lot of times men kind of already have built into the system. So I love that you're building a system that supports women in that space. Um, one thing I did want to ask was, you know, as you've been getting up and running and, you know, expanding and doing five events a year and connecting more people, what barriers have you experienced um, or seen as you've kind of gotten going? Sure. So I think the first one's just bandwidth. Um, you know, women are busy. Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, everyone has their day job. Um, people have families. Uh, women are often, you know, the ones who are driving uh, many ancillary elements for either their home or doing other elements uh, from a volunteer capacity. So just time is precious. So um, ensuring that we're doing events that seem additive, 
and not taking away from mm. uh, busy schedules where people are already oversaturated. And, and we really didn't want to be duplicative of what other groups are doing. So ensuring that we're not running afoul of those things, being mm. duplicative, having events that are not meaningful, that um, wouldn't be added to someone's schedule. And then the really obvious thing that's a barrier is we are bipartisan and that can be challenging um, in an environment that's growing ever more partisan. We've been very lucky to date where we've had um, women leaders on, on both sides of the aisle come together and talk about a shared mission and agenda for growth of women in Congress. Um, but we very intentionally don't delve uh, by nature of being a 501c3. We, we don't lobby on specific issues. We're an educating body. And so we try to uh, refrain from discussion of items that might be um, divisive. Uh, so that's that can always be a struggle because certainly people want mm-hmm. to engage on the topical issues at hand. Um, so that's always a challenge of, of being bipartisan. But again, I think it's critical to our mission and something that will continue to advance moving forward. Absolutely. And, you know, it's it's worth it to kind of have this space that is so unique um, and can attract people from both sides of the aisle and independence, you know, and I, I completely understand that wanting to keep that space of bipartisanship can be a barrier, but I also, you know, it's something I really admire about the organization is one of the reasons I wanted to get involved. So um, thank you for sharing that. This is, this is an interesting question. Um, so we are recording this on November 7th, which is the day before um, a big midterm election. And just as someone that's, you know, experienced in the space, knows a lot of people in this space, um, do you, you know, how do you, do you see the makeup of Congress changing at all? Do you feel like um, maybe we'll keep counting higher? Um, I haven't been following too many races, like super individually, but would love to just get your take on, are you seeing in general, maybe more women might come into office or do you have any sort of a, a prediction, any sort of sure. easy I prediction? Will, we're, not gonna, if, we're not going to check you on it. So yeah, just, I was going to say, I'll give you a I'll give the huge caveat that every time I do this, I end up being woefully <laughs> wrong uh, because my I leave with aspiration instead of reality. So, okay. Um, I will. I not will a, not a horrible play. quality. Not a horrible quality. We love <laughs> right. optimism. So, just globally, as it pertains to women, and we'll focus here mostly on the on the federal level for purposes of the conversation. I, I think you know, unfortunately, as, as we are one thirty one and counting, and that and counting is aspirational, and the hope is to see continued growth and, and not sort of a dip and then growth and dip and a growth. I, I think we might be in a midterm where progress can be uneven. Uh, or that 2022 midterms are going to be an example of that, at least mm. when it comes to when it comes to female candidates. Um, on the good news side of the ledger, I think it's going to be a record setting year for women in governor's races. Mm. Uh, I think according to different polling and forecasts, it looks like there's 12 um Gubernatorial candidates who have a pretty good chance of, of winning, at least according to you know five thirty eight and, and other um, polls and, and sites like that. So that would be historic. Um, but on the other side, there are on the, on the federal congressional side, there are a number of vulnerable seats, uh, women's seats, who are women who are in their first or second term. A lot mm-hmm. of them flipped seats in twenty eighteen. Um, that are you know if you look at polling. Um, a lot of them are outside of the margin of error. So again, mm. you know, any given Sunday, anything can change at the last minute, but at least what's coming in now, it doesn't look terribly optimistic. So I don't think we're going to dwindle back down to 131 at the moment. I believe we're around 147, 148. 
Um, but I, I don't know if we're going to see the significant upticks that we saw from 2018 and 2020 through to 2022. But um, as you know, the electorate's quite fickle and, and mm-hmm. you know, what happens in a midterm can completely do an about face, you know, in the next two years. So I'm hoping, um, well, one, I'm hoping everything I said is wrong and, and we do see a huge uptick. But if not, I hope it's just a, a momentary Flip, and then we continue to see that uh, continued growth. The last thing I'll note too is just when it comes to female voters, I think it's going to be really interesting because I think women are going to decide the fate of a number of candidates. We're, we're becoming mm-hmm. the biggest thing block, and so I think just and I'm saying women very globally. There's obviously mm-hmm. ways to break this down geogra- from a geographical standpoint and, and so forth, but I think women are really important to watch. Um, and at least on social issues are going to dictate a lot. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be an interesting, uh, evening. I don't know if we'll know everything by the end of tomorrow, <laughs> but we will, we will see, but fingers crossed, certainly that we, we see some, um, promising women come into, come into office, um, for the first time and that we see retention of, of incumbents. Yeah. And, you know, I think that it's clear that there'll always be a need for, 131 and counting and the mission that, um, you know, no matter what happens on November 8th, um, you know, there'll still be the desire to get more women into those decision-making spaces. Um, you know, what I'd love to just kind of end on, because I think people will be interested in this is, you know, is there anything people can do to get involved? You said you host a lot of events or any of those open to the public. Um, I know you guys have social media channels, um, which I'm going to plan to, to share as well, but just from your perspective, you know, what can people do to, to get involved and uplift the mission? Yeah, thanks so much. So we are not in a member organization in the sense that you don't pay member dues. Um, we don't have a sort of member drive. We are, we do five or six events a year. They are open to the public. We have a listserv that that's shared with, but by no means is attendance limited to those who are on that listserv. The listserv is just simply generated by people who have signed up on our website or who have attended events in the past. Um, and then, as you mentioned, you can see information about all of our forthcoming events on our Twitter page and our Instagram page. And try to I try to be at the top of LinkedIn as possible. Um, so those three forums from a social media perspective. Our next event will be on December 14th. And this is when I mentioned we do some things that are more social. That will be our December 14th event, which is our holiday soiree, uh, which will be held downtown near Union Station. And just be a fun evening to celebrate the retiring class of women members and the end of, of this term. So welcome people to um, join us for that. We'll send an invitation here shortly. It will be um, first come first serve just based on, on space and, and capacity, um, but that will be it for the, for the remainder of 2022. And then we'll start working here shortly with our board and our advisory council on the slate of events for 2023. So um, certainly keep checking all those forums to see what our programming will be next year. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing and, and thanks for just coming on to give a brief intro. Um, you know, we hope to continue these series of conversations with more guests and, um, just really thank you for coming on and giving the little setting and telling us about the important work 131 is count and counting is doing. Yeah. Well, thank you. And thank you for your support. This is exciting. Yes. As always, thank you for listening as we continue our journey to get more women on the hill. Feel free to connect with us by rating this podcast and checking us out on Instagram and Twitter at 131 and counting. Until next time.